0: Welcome to another episode of Real Talk with Azriel. I'm so excited you could be here. I'm so happy you could be here. Um, today is Food for the Soul Sunday and I have a clip from one of Elon Watt's talks. It basically discusses how psychologists don't really understand people but help them understand. So It deals a little bit with the subconscious mind and beliefs and belief systems, and I thought it was a really good listen, so I wanted to share that with you guys. But before I play that, I am going to wrap up briefly uh, this week's talk about living through other people's... Living life and experiencing life through other people's unhealed trauma or negative experiences. And the reason I wanted to uh, really do this, (laughs) Food for the Soul Sunday, was to be able to wrap up the topic at the end of the week in case somebody didn't really fully grasp it and sometimes like after i put out an episode i'm like oh man this would have been great to add in there this would have been perfect to you know go with that so it really allows me to just come back and say some things that i may have forgotten to say or think that should be added so before i play that clip i will go ahead and like i said briefly just wrap up our discussion for this week. So, Monday we talked about experiencing life through other people's unhealed trauma. And if you guys don't understand or take away anything else from this podcast series, I hope you take away the fact that whatever you internalize, your exterior will reflect that. So your your mind, your thoughts, they control your reality, right? The way I see it is like this. Every belief that we have, we subconsciously do the things to make that belief true. So what do I mean by that? So, for instance, if you say I'm an awful person and you internalize the fact that you're an awful person, then subconsciously you will continue to do things that make you an awful person because you believe you're an awful person. And there's this quote by Neville Goddard. I hope I'm saying that right. Neville Goddard. And it goes, the subconscious is what a man is. And the conscious is what a man knows. So it's like if you subconsciously internalize these beliefs i call them limiting beliefs and i'll explain in a second if you subconsciously internalize these limiting beliefs then your life will continuously reflect your limiting beliefs if you believe i can't start this business because everybody else around me started businesses and they failed then that is exactly what will happen to you you will start your business and you will fail if you believe that hey people fail people also succeed And I believe in myself and I believe I can succeed. That is exactly what you will do. Does not mean that that there will not be obstacles and there will not be times you may fail. But ultimately, you will succeed because you're already succeeding mentally. So what do I mean by limiting beliefs? So limiting beliefs are beliefs that prohibit you from carrying out an action or doing really, yeah, I guess carrying out an action. So, again, I got to say that again because I kind of said it a little choppy. So, limiting beliefs are beliefs that prohibit you from attaining an objective, going after something, doing something, essentially, right? So, if you want to do something and you don't believe you can, that is a limiting belief right there. And you are, in a sense, setting yourself up for failure. You're self-sabotaging. <laughs> and a lot of us do this um, because we don't update our belief systems. Which is why I say it is so important that we update our belief systems. Because a lot of the times, our beliefs are outdated and they no longer serve us. And the way I see it too is like this. When you come in the world, you have no beliefs of anything. Every single belief you have comes from somebody else. So you need to analyze your beliefs and see if they still work for you. You see? Because these beliefs might work for somebody else, but they might not work for you necessarily. And they might not even have anything to really do with you. It might be, like I said, somebody's unhealed trauma that they pass on to other people. So for me, my experience, my family has experienced racism. So since they never healed from that, they kept passing it on. They kept passing passing these beliefs on that we were going to be treated this way because of our skin. And that's what I believed. So that's what I experienced. Right. And that's excuse me. That's what they believe. So that's what they experienced on top of the fact that they had already experienced it. And then it didn't make it worse because they never healed from it. It made things worse because they never healed from it. I mean, excuse me. And so that's why I say it's so important to check out your beliefs, where they come from, who they come from. You know, are they serving you? Because the belief that people are going to treat me wrong because of my skin does not serve me anymore. I understand now that everything in my life is energetic. And if I believe that I will be treated this way, then that is how I will be treated. If I believe that, you know, I'm going to be... People are going to... If I believe this, like, this is how I see things. I don't believe that people treat me a certain way because of my skin. I no longer believe that. I believe that people treat me... The way people treat me has nothing to do with me. At all. Unless, say, I'm being... Um, an a-hole and then someone's responding to me being an a-hole you know at that point that makes sense but if I'm say I'm not doing anything I'm not doing anything somebody just just starts bashing me talking that has nothing to do with me nothing excuse me nothing to do with I have the hiccups nothing to do with me at all and so that's how I see things when people treat me bad nothing to do with me that reflects what's going on inside of them i'm not gonna let that get me out of out, out of shape and so that's why i really encourage people to just go ahead and update your belief system you update your phone you update your keys i said your keys <laughs> your car well i guess that is your keys you update all these things in your life you update your profile but why don't you update your beliefs you know because we have sometimes beliefs that we let sit again that no longer serve us So, check out your mind, check out your beliefs, and see, hey, do I have any of these beliefs that still don't serve me, that, you know, are old, that are outdated, and and see. And if you do, get rid of them. Because they're not doing anything but causing you to see the same old life that you've always seen. When you change the way you think, you change your life. Seriously. Again, if you don't remember anything else from this show, what you think, you will see. What you think, you will get. So... That is all i have for you guys today um what else let me see is there anything else i'm going to say before i get off of here yibby 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 yibby, yibby. um no i think that is it tomorrow's episode is going to be about uh taking accountability for your life stop making excuses for your life you know because a lot of us do that we we blame external forces for the for the reason that things happen to us you know uh for instance if you're late to work and you know the, oh there's traffic oh someone cut me off oh i was driving behind somebody slow right those are excuses because what could you have done to get to work sooner you could have woke up 10 15 minutes earlier you could have left the house you could have not stopped for coffee right so there's always something that you can do to <clears throat> excuse me oh my gosh there's always something you can do to prevent something, right? So whether it be preventing being late, preventing a heartbreak, preventing, um, I don't know. There's, I mean, there's so many things, like, I don't even know what, there's so many things, like, there's so many things, like, so many things you can prevent from happening to you um, just by analyzing. And it's really hard sometimes to uh, blame ourselves right? And it's not even blame. It's just being accountable, right? It's like, okay, you know what? I could have gotten up 15 minutes earlier. You know, that's, that's my bad. It has nothing to do with the traffic. This is my bad, right? Because I might have beat the traffic. But if you do, if you, you know, if you do things and it's like, oh man, you know, I'm still running behind, then okay. But nine times out of 10, there's always something you could have done to prevent that. So if you know there's going to be traffic at 6 a.m., then maybe you should be out there a little earlier so you can get to work on time, right? So you don't got to make excuses. Oh, well, this happened, this happened. No, 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 that was you. Own up to it. So anyways, we'll get more into that tomorrow. Um, Thank you so much, guys, for 100 listeners each episode. That is 100 listeners per episode. I am excited. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much. I appreciate all of you. I love all of you. You guys are amazing. Okay, amazing, right? Give yourselves a freaking a clap or pat on the back or something. You guys are great. (laughs) I never expected the show to grow this fast, uh, but hey, I'll take it. All right, I'll take it. Uh, Let's keep growing. Let's keep getting better. Let's keep getting stronger. I love you guys so much, okay? Here is Elon Watts. I will see you guys on Sunday. I love you, and bye-bye.
1: It's really a very unorthodox and unacademic thing to do to start a discussion with a group of psychologists on the subject of metaphysics. But we have to do that. Because... A lot of people say that their approach to life is scientific, as distinct from metaphysical, and that metaphysics is bosh, anyway. But everybody, by virtue of being a human being, is willy-nilly a metaphysician. That is to say, everybody starts from certain fundamental assumptions as to what is the good life, what he wants. What are his, uh, shall we say, axioms for living? And I find that psychologists tend to be blind to these fundamental assumptions. Maybe it's truer of psychiatrists than it is of psychologists, but uh, they tend to feel that they are scientists. They're rather bending over backwards to have a scientific status, because that, of course, is fashionable in our age. But you know, it's so amusing that when, say, let's take psychoanalysis, for example, has pointed out to many philosophers that their philosophical ideas are capable of being shown to have a psychoanalytic reference. For example, John Wisdom wrote a book about the philosophy of Berkeley in which he attributed a great deal of his point of view to his experiences in toilet training as a child. (coughs) The philosopher is very grateful to the psychoanalyst for revealing to him his unconscious and its emotional contents. But the psychoanalyst must in turn await a revelation from the philosopher as to his philosophical unconscious and the unexamined assumptions which lie in it. So, if I may start by insulting your intelligence with what is called the most elementary lesson. The thing that we should have learned before we learned 1, 2, 3 and A, B, C, but somehow was overlooked. Now, this lesson is quite simply this, that any experience that we have through our senses, whether of sound, or of light, or of touch, is a vibration. And a vibration has two aspects, one called on, and the other called off. Vibration seems to be propagated in waves, and every wave system has crests and it has troughs. And so life is a system of now you see it, now you don't. And these two aspects always go together. For example, sound is not pure sound, it is a rapid alternation of sound and silence. And that's simply the way things are. Only you must remember that the crest and the trough of a wave are inseparable. Nobody ever saw crests without troughs or troughs without crests. Just as you don't encounter in life people with fronts but no backs. Just as you don't encounter a coin that has the heads but no tails. And although the heads and the tails, the fronts and the backs, positives and the negatives are different they're at the same time one and one has to get used fundamentally to the notion that different things can be inseparable that what is explicitly two can at the same time be implicitly one if you forget that very funny things happen if therefore we forget you see that black and white are inseparable and that existence is constituted equivalently by being and non-being then we get scared and we have to play a game called "Oh, oh black might win and once we get into the fear that black the negative side might win we are compelled to play the game but white must win and from that start all our troubles Because, you see, the human awareness is a very odd mechanism. I don't think mechanism is quite the right word, but it'll do for the moment. That is to say, we have, as a species, specialized in a certain kind of awareness, which we call conscious attention. And by this, we have the faculty of examining the details of life very closely, We can restrict our gaze. And it corresponds somewhat to the peripheral field, I mean the the central field of vision in the eyes. We have central vision, we have peripheral vision. Central vision is that which we use for reading, for all sorts of close work. And it's like using a spotlight. Whereas peripheral vision is more like using a floodlight. Now civilization and civilized human beings, for maybe 5,000 years, maybe much longer, have learned to specialize in concentrated attention. Even if a person's attention span is short, he is, as it were, wavering his spotlight over many fields. The price which we pay for specialization in conscious attention is ignorance of everything outside its field. I would rather say ignorance than ignorance, because if you concentrate on a figure, you tend to ignore the background. You tend, therefore, to see the world in a disintegrated aspect. You take separate things and events seriously, imagining that these really do exist, when actually. They have the same kind of existence as an individual's interpretation of a Rorschach plot. They're what you make out of it. In fact, our physical world is a system of inseparable differences. Everything exists with everything else. But we contrive not to notice that. Because what we notice is what is noteworthy. And we notice it in terms of notations, Numbers, words, images, what is notable, noteworthy, notated, noticed, is what appears to us to be significant, and the rest is ignored as insignificant. And as a result of that, we select from the total input that goes to our senses only a very small fraction and this causes us to believe that we are separate beings isolated by the boundary of the epidermis from the rest of the world And you see this is also the mechanism involved in not noticing that black and white go together. Not noticing that every inside has an outside. And that the inside, what's inside, goes on inside your skin, is inseparable from what goes on outside your skin. Do you see that, uh, for example, in the science of ecology, one learns that a human being is not an organism in an environment but is an organism hyphen environment that is to say a unified field of behavior if you describe carefully the behavior of any organism you cannot do so without at the same time describing the behavior of the environment and by that you know that you've got a new entity of study you are describing the behavior of a unified field But you must be very careful indeed not to fall into old Newtonian assumptions about the billiard-ball nature of the universe. The organism is not the puppet of the environment being pushed around by it. Nor, on the other hand, is the environment the puppet of the organism being pushed around by the organism. The relationship between them is to use John Dewey's word, transactional. A transaction being a situation like buying and selling, in which there is no buying unless somebody sells, and no selling unless somebody buys. So that fundamental relationship between ourselves and the world, which is in an old-fashioned way by people such as Skinner, who who have not updated his philosophy, interpreted in terms of Newtonian mechanics, He interprets the organism as something determined by the total environment he doesn't see that in a more modern way of talking about it we're simply describing a unified field of behavior which is nothing more than what any mystic ever said that's a dirty word uh, in the modern academic scientific environment but Um, If a mystic is one who is sensibly, or even sensuously, aware of his inseparability as an individual from the total existing universe, he is simply a person who has become sensible, aware through his senses, of the way ecologists see the world. So when I'm in academic circles, I don't talk about mystical experience. I talk about ecological awareness. Same thing. And uh, so the next aspect of our metaphysical introduction must be about games. You know, I think there are really four questions that all philosophers have discussed from the beginning of recorded time. First is who started it? The second is, are we going to make it? The third is, where are we going to put it? And the fourth is, who's going to clean up? When you think these over, it poses a fifth question. Is it serious? And that's the one I want to discuss. Is existence serious? Like you say, Doctor, I'm... after he's looked at your x-ray picture is it serious? what does that mean? means uh, am I in danger of not continuing to survive? but the basis of it all is this then if we say you must survive or I must survive life is earnest and I've got to go on then your life is a drag and not a game now it's my contention my personal opinion this is my basic metaphysical axiom shall we put it that way the existence the physical universe is basically playful there is no necessity for it whatsoever it isn't going anywhere that is to say, it doesn't <clears throat> have some destination that it ought to arrive at. But, but it is best understood by analogy with music. Because music, as an art form, is essentially playful. We say, you play the piano. You don't work the piano. Why? Music differs from, say, travel. When you travel, you are trying to get somewhere. And of course, we, because being a very compulsive and purposive culture, are busy getting everywhere faster and faster and faster till we eliminate the distance between places. I mean, with the modern jet travel, you can arrive almost instantaneously. <clears throat> and what happens as a result of that is that the two ends of your journey become the same place. So you eliminate the distance, and you eliminate the journey. Because the fun of the journey is to travel, not to obliterate traveling. So then, in music, though, one doesn't make the end of a composition the point of the the composition. If that were so, the best conductors would be those who played fastest. (coughs) And there would be composers who wrote only finales. (laughs) People go to concert just to hear one crashing chord, because that's the end. (laughs) Same way in dancing. You don't aim at a particular spot in the room, that's where you should arrive. The whole point of the dancing is the dance. Now, but we don't see that as... Uh, something brought by our education into our everyday conduct. We've got a system of schooling which gives a completely different impression. It's all graded. And what we do is we put the child into the corridor of this grade system with a kind of, come on kitty kitty kitty, and yeah you go to kindergarten, you know, and that's a great thing because when you finish that you'll get into first grade and then come on, first grade leads to second grade and so on and then you get out of grade school and you've got high school and it's revving up, the thing is coming then you're going to go to college and by a joke then you get into graduate school and when you're through with graduate school you go out to join the world and then you get into some racket where you're selling insurance and they've got that quota to make and you're going to make that and all the time the thing is coming it's coming, it's coming, that great thing the, the success you're working for Then when you wake up one day about 40 years old, you say, my God, I've arrived. (laughs) I'm there. And you don't feel very different from what you always felt. And there's a slight letdown because you feel there's a hoax. And there was a hoax, a dreadful hoax. They made you miss everything by expectation. Look at the people who live to retire and put those savings away. And then when they're 65, They don't have any energy left. They're more or less impotent. And uh, they go and rot in an old people's senior citizen's community. (laughs) Because we simply cheated ourselves the whole way down the line. (coughs) We thought of life by analogy with a journey. With a pilgrimage. Which had a serious purpose at the end. and the thing was to get to that end. Success or whatever it is. Or maybe heaven after you're dead. But, we missed the point the whole way along, it was a musical thing and you were supposed to sing or to dance while the music was being played. But, you had to do that thing. You didn't let it happen. And so, for this, in this way, the human being sometimes becomes an organism for self-frustration. Let's take uh, Kozybski called man a time binder. That means that he's the animal peculiarly aware of the time sequence. And as a result of this, is able to do some very remarkable things. He can predict. He studies what's happened in the past. And he says the chances are so and so of that happening again. So he predicts. This is very useful to be able to predict because that has survival value but at the same time it creates anxiety you pay for this increased survival ability involved in prediction by knowing that in the end you won't succeed you're all going to fall apart by one way or another it might happen tomorrow might happen fifty years from now but it all comes apart in the end and people get worried about that they get anxious So what they gained on the roundabout, they lost on the swings. So then, if you see, on the other hand, that existence, this is, as I said, my basic metaphysical assumption, which I won't conceal from you, that existence is musical in nature. That is to say that it is not serious. It is the play of all kinds of patterns we can look upon different creatures as we look at different games, as we look at chess, checkers, backgammon, tennis there's the tree game the beetle game, the grass game or you can look at them as you look at different styles of music mazurkas, waltzes um sonata etc., etc. all down the line there are all these different things doing their stuff and they're going to do to do to do to do to who do do to do, you know, in different rhythms and we're doing that if you were in a flying saucer, from Mars or somewhere, and you came and looked try and make out what was living on this world. From about 10,000 feet at night, or early morning, you would see these great ganglia, with tentacles going out all over the place. And early in the morning, you see little uh, blobs of luminous particles going into the middle of them. See? And then uh, in the late afternoon or early evening, it would spit them all out again. And they'd say, well, this thing this thing breathes. And it does it in a special rhythm. It goes in and out, in and out, in and out, once every 24 hours. But it, then it rests a day and doesn't spit so much. It spits in a different way. That's a kind of irregularity. And then it starts spitting all over again the same way. Well, I say, that's very interesting. That's the kind of thing we, we have, see. This is something that goes this way, you see. Just like uh, music goes "Mm, mm, 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 did you ever see a lady go this way, go that way? That's what it does. And when people, uh, when you think a bit what people really want to do with their time, what do they do when they're not being pushed around and somebody's telling them what to do? They like to go, uh, they like to make rhythms. They listen to music, they dance, or they sing, or they do something of a rhythmic nature. Playing cards, or bowling, or raising their elbows—everybody <laughs> wants to spend their time swinging. <laughs> and that's that's the nature of this whole thing we're in. You see, it likes to swing. That's why it does it.